Let's pray before we uh, jump in. Father God, I thank you uh, just for the time today to sit, to uh, stand, to worship, to sing songs to you, to hear your word taught. I pray that you would, uh, through your spirit, uh, reach into our lives, rattle the cage if it needs to be rattled, God, comfort if it needs to be comforted, give joy where joy needs to be had. Father, meet us here and show, show us yourself. Amen. So, uh, in, in preparing for today's sermon, um, kind of spent a little bit of time going, uh, well, what should the title be? And as I thought about it, I thought, Q&A with Jesus. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, mostly because uh, we have questions. Jesus hopefully has answers. He does. Not hopefully. He does have answers. Um, but we all have questions that we want asked. Uh, questions in general can vary in topic. Uh, they can vary in length, in seriousness, of importance, all that good stuff. Uh, we ask questions every day, not just of Jesus, but uh, we do all kinds of things with them. We make games with them, sometimes 20, sometimes trivial. Uh, we can use them for information, or we can ask them to cause others to think. For example, what do you get when you cross a joke with a rhetorical question? Good. Anyway. <laughs> I thought it'd be good. I guess it wasn't. Just as there are many types of questions in life, there are also many places to ask those questions. Clearly, that was, uh, here was not the time and place for that question. Oh, that's good. Thank you, Mac. Um, typically, a, a good conference is, is a good place to ask one, whether it be a, like a Comic-Con conference where actors, producers, and uh, different people are there on panels, and you can get to find out about things you like, whether it be comic books, TV shows, whatever, or even in Christian conferences where you can have a Q&A time with a keynote speaker or some of the other speakers that they have there just to kind of pick their brain if anything came up while you were sitting in their sessions. So let me ask this of you guys. If you could, when Jesus was around physically on earth doing his ministry, could have gone and asked him a question, what would you have asked him? Um, with today's scripture, actually, I, I, w I think I would have asked this question that the, uh, the man asked in that. Uh, we're going to be going into uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18 and verse 18. So if you want to get uh, ready now, uh, you can either use your Bible. It'll be up on the screen, also in the note sheet, or you can grab one of the Bibles in front of you. And if you don't have one, that's yours to take. We can replace them, don't worry. Um, so a little backstory on this one. We're going to go through... Um, a good question gets asked, and the response to that elicits another question, but not from the man who asked it, but from the crowd who was listening. So a little backstory before we read that scripture as well, of where we are, because really we're just jumping into the middle of a story here. Luke has a whole purpose that he's driving towards in his gospel, and we're just jumping in the middle of it. So I think knowing where we are in that story will help a little bit. Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. 
And at this point in the story, they are just outside, well, they're going to Jericho. They're on the road to Jericho. They're not there yet. But on the way, Jesus has done some teaching. He's taught about uh, the persistence of praying. He's taught about what our attitude, what a correct attitude should be as we stand in front of a holy God. He's taught about how we should receive the kingdom of God as a little child receives the kingdom. And that brings us to verse 18 in chapter 18. Uh, So let's look at that now. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one except God, uh, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And the man said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will, re- who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Kind of a strange Q&A. She's got a good straightforward question there. How do I get eternal life? And we get some difficult answers. And we're going to go through those questions one at a time. Um, and as I prayed earlier, I just, I want the Father to meet with us and see what he's saying here in the scripture. So here we have our ruler who we later in the story find out is extremely wealthy, asking a good question of Jesus. What can I do to inherit eternal life? Now, in the initial response that Jesus gives, here we have, uh, just I mean, this is a sermon in and of itself, when he says, um, he questions, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. I'm not going to touch that today. Um, that is a good sermon for another time, but... Uh, We'll touch on it in as much as saying this. What Jesus is asking him, essentially, is do you realize who you are talking to? Do you know who I am? That's the point he's trying to get across in asking that. So he asks that question. Jesus gives that response. Uh, Rich, go ahead and put that. Question one. So this is question one here. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life. And after saying that God alone is good, Jesus brings up the commandments, some of the commandments, or some of the law. He doesn't quote all of it, 
Uh, but how do we see this man react to that? What's his response? He says he's kept all of those since he was young. And that, that right there is interesting to me, because it doesn't say what age the man is, but it says he, did, he has kept these commands since he was young. And, and why I think it, it is interesting is this, a little back history with Israel. Uh, this is God's chosen people. He brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He gave them the law in the wilderness to follow these commandments that Jesus quoted. And he helped them through, God has helped them through many, many tight spots, mostly which came about because they chose not to follow that law. So these same commandments that Jesus quoted here are the same ones that Israel has been following for years. And this man says, I've been doing that. And what's interesting is he he doesn't feel like he has eternal life. He still wants that. So what, I mean, what's up with that? Uh, why, why should he feel that way if he's followed the law of God all of his life? Why would Jesus bring up the law when asked about eternal life? It almost makes us ask the question, well, shouldn't, shouldn't God's law be enough for this man to inherit? Uh, that's, a, that's a yes and no answer. Um, I think we on this side of history in the 21st century have uh, an explanation that maybe this guy didn't have at the time. Um, Not that it was hidden, just that he maybe didn't know it. And we're lucky to have the Apostle Paul's writings in his letters. Specifically, I'm thinking of uh, Romans 7 and 8. Again, another whole sermon right there, just in those two chapters. But in that Paul is laying out what the point of law is, what the purpose of the law is, and it was to point out the need for a Savior. No one keeps the law perfectly. We've all sinned before a holy God. And so this is where, yes, it's good to have the law because it points out our, our, our sin and that we can't make it, but it, it's knowing that it just leaves us there. The law doesn't save us. Getting back to our question, right? So the man says he's been following these laws, right? And he still wants to know. So Jesus says, hey, you're only lacking one thing. This is Dan Abbott's paraphrase. Sell your stuff, give it to the poor, you'll get treasure in heaven. That's good. And when you're done with that, come follow me. Hmm. That sounds like three things. Sell, give, and follow. But, I mean, what is, Jesus, what is Jesus saying there? What is he pointing out? Uh, two parts of that are something that the man has to, to deal with, to do. But I think the one thing where he's lacking that Jesus says when he says, come follow me, is a relationship with Jesus. I think that, that's, what this, uh, that's what the answer to the question is. How, how, must I inher- or how do I inherit eternal life? Uh, you have a relationship with Jesus. You come alongside. So, bam! Jesus has answered his question. You want eternal life? You can have it. Come follow me. Let's go. I'm going to sit down now. The team's going to come back up. It's not what happens. I mean, he has his answer. He wants eternal life. Come follow Jesus. You just sell this stuff, give that away, and, and come follow Jesus. We don't... I don't see the man doing that. It says he's sad. 
says he's sad. And it's not a sadness that's just like, oh, bummer. Oh, thanks for the answer, Jesus. I'm going to go about my merry way now, see if I can find it another way. It's not that kind of answer. This is a visible sadness. Jesus sees it. And he, he turns and he makes this observation that just paints a stark picture for us to try and grasp. Jesus says, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel, I don't know how tall camels are, but we're going to say this big, to enter the eye of a needle, just take your hand and do this, make a really small pinhole, and then hold it up. Have you ever seen a camel go through that size of a hole? This is the observation Jesus is making. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's a funny little analogy, and it's a scary, scary thought. It's more sobering because of what it means. And before we get to the second question, what is Jesus saying here? There's something he's not saying, and there's something he is saying. So let's touch on what Jesus is not saying first. Jesus is not condemning wealth in this sentence. We don't hear him saying, money is bad, get rid of it, and then follow me. We hear him saying how difficult it is for the wealthy. And then he paints that picture. But he's not, he's not saying that money in and of itself is bad. Well, that seems a little inconsistent, but well, let's, let's jump. If we jump to chapter 19 here a little bit, uh, Greg Swanson actually preached on chapter 19 a few months ago. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Uh, he cheated a bunch of people, a lot, and was very wealthy. Jesus goes to his house. Salvation comes to that house. Zacchaeus, yes, he, he, he makes restitution with all these people he's ripped off, but at no point did Jesus say, all right, now give it all away, and then you can be right with me. We don't see that, and so it can look like an inconsistency. But what I think we see Jesus doing here is, is painting, painting a picture for us of, of a truth that he taught earlier. Uh, if you would uh, write down Luke sixteen thirteen, you can flip there if you'd like. It's a fleshing out of a teaching we have there. And in it, Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So what Jesus is pointing out is is the main issue with the wealthy man. He's putting his finger on it. This man loves his money, apparently, more than he loves God. Or at least, in this instance, we see him losing this wrestling match that he's having with it. And this is what makes him sad. He's told to sell all that he has and give it away and follow Christ, but he's like, oh, Jesus, you don't understand. I don't think you get it. I have a lot of nice things, Jesus. Now, some of this I've gotten from my family, sure, but 
I'm a pretty good businessman myself. I'm no slouch. I've made some good business choices and I've turned profit and I've, I've made money. I have a lot of nice things and I, I, I just don't think you get it. I worked hard for this. My empire wasn't built in a day, you know. I'm not just going to give it away. I, I can't just give it all up and follow you. But I, but I really want eternal life. I really want that. And this is the tension that he's sitting in. He has this one thing that he wants, but he also has this, this eternal life that he desperately wants as well. And it makes him sad. Can you relate to that? Can you, can you find yourself in that, in that dilemma? It wasn't just the man's wealth that he put on. It's where his heart was. It was his attitude It was the replacement God that this man had set up that that seems to have gotten in the way with his relationship with God. And this is why we see Jesus ask him to get rid of it. Like, this needs to go away so that you and I can be in relationship. And that's what causes Jesus to make the observation of how hard and how difficult it is because money can buy a lot of things. There's a lot of security in that. So Jesus makes his observation of how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And now we have question number two. So the rich aren't getting saved, then who can be saved? At this time, wealth is a big deal. Not just because you can buy stuff, but because it is a perception they had in their culture of those who are wealthy are clearly in with God. Money equals God loves me. He has blessed me with it. I, I can do good with it. I can, you know, I'm able to tithe well, etc. So money to these guys is just like, well, wait, that man's wealthy, so he should be in good with God. If he's not going to make it or if it's hard for him, what, what about the rest of us? I mean, it it almost it, it smacks of something else Jesus said earlier uh, when he was teaching on the mountainside in, in Matthew. It says, he said that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So I, I know for those who are routine the church, who a church has become a, a thing for us, we hear Pharisees like, oh, those are the bad guys. But the Pharisees knew their Bibles. They religiously followed it. All the rules. They kept it. You have someone like Nicodemus, who, was a, who he is a righteous, or was a righteous man, hitting that level. I think in our, again, it's, it's time and culture maybe separates us. So when we hear that, if your righteousness doesn't, exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, heaven's not an option. I think that gets lost on us a little bit. So um, putting what Jesus says in slightly different words, I'm not trying to replace it, I'm just trying to help us grasp it, right? Unless you become more righteous than the Pope, or than Billy Graham, or than Rick Warren, or than Pastor Scott, or any other religious person who who is up there who you feel is in with God, unless you become more righteous than they, you can forget heaven. 
Mother Teresa is, is the standard, right? If you don't hit that standard, you're not in. Oh, and if you're rich, forget it. It's twice as hard for you. Like, this is the weight with which this is coming at these people. So when they ask, who then gets saved? Nobody. That's what they're expecting to hear. And this is when we see Jesus answering this question with this statement. It's, it's an amazing and very important truth. What is impossible with man is possible with God. In those nine words, we have the gospel laid out for us. Jesus is basically saying, no one gets saved on their own merit. Man can't do it. Doesn't matter how hard you try. Doesn't matter how hard I try. We can't do that. But the good news is, God can save you. Man can't save himself, but God can save you and give you eternal life. And this is the answer to the second question then. Who then can be saved? Those who trust Jesus with their lives. Those who trust Jesus with their lives. And this should sound somewhat familiar. In fact, it should sound amazingly similar to answer number one. To inherit eternal life, one needs only to have a relationship with God. To be saved, those who trust in Christ with their lives will be saved. It's the same question asked from two different perspectives with the same answer. And the answer is... Jesus, there you go. It's the Sunday school answer. It really is. So Jesus, read your Bible and pray, right? Those are, those are the three. But in this instance, Jesus is, is the answer for these questions. How do we get eternal life in Christ? Who can be saved? Those who have placed their faith and who have their lives entrusted to Jesus. This is great news. I mean, this is, Jesus is the answer. Make no mistake of that. He died, rose from the dead, conquered death, We can have life in him because of the work he did. He paid the penalty that we deserve, and so we are right with God. That is the gospel. Living in that. So, there it is. Who knew it was that simple, right? In this instance, in our story here, um, Peter, good old Peter. Uh, If you're not too acquainted with Peter, I suggest you get acquainted. Um, You can read through the Gospels, and this is where you'll see him act, but uh, to get a good grasp of Peter, I want you to think about the circle of friends you have. If you're out, you know, just hanging out and everything, and it comes that weird moment where everybody is thinking the same thing, but no one wants to say it, or no one wants to ask the question, or do what needs to be done, and then there's that friend that does it, that's Peter. Peter's that guy, right? Whether it's good or whether it's bad, Peter is that guy. So... That's what he does here. And I'm not sure exactly how he said it or what the motivation behind it, but either way you slice it, it does sound like Peter is just thinking of himself a little higher than he ought to. Even if it's just a smidge, he says, hey, Jesus, we left our homes and followed you. It's fantastic, implying that he and the other disciples had done what this ruler couldn't do. And at this point, we see the love and compassion Jesus has for not only Peter and the disciples there, but for us as well. Because I, I know I've, I've gotten to that place where I've said something like that, or, well, at least I'm a Christian. You know, I've done that. And uh, I think it's a benefit for everybody here, including myself, that I'm not Jesus, 
Because I would have said something like, hey, Peter, no one likes a suck-up. <laughs> or a brown noser, so just pipe down, buddy. We get it. You're good. You made the right choice. Calm down. Dial it back. Jesus doesn't say that. He says something a lot more loving and a lot more truthful. He says, truly I say to you, truthfully, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom who who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. It's that point again. Uh, I mean, how amazing is that? Jesus just tells Peter that, hey, your sacrifice really isn't a sacrifice if looked on a grand scale. Nor is it for us. Not only are you getting eternal life, but you're getting a multitude of what you left behind. And I'm not saying, and I don't think Jesus is saying here, a prosperity gospel. I don't think he's saying, hey, you go name it and claim it, and if God is blessing you, you're going to have good health, you're gonna, your finances are going to be in order, nothing will go wrong with you. That is not Christianity. That is not what he's saying here. What I think Jesus is speaking on here, this is the church that he's talking about. This is the community that we are a part of if we are with him. If you leave what you had to enter into the kingdom of God, this is it. Think on it. Have you ever had a relationship with someone in the church where it was... You, you, you looked up to them and you viewed them as a mother or as a father when maybe yours wasn't there. Or, or if you're older, looking back and you see someone who's younger and you view them as a, a daughter or a son and you want to mentor them, you want to bring them along, you want the best for them in Christ. And so you walk or even um, like when our missionaries come on furlough and stuff like that, people opening their homes or other, you know, just places for them to stay. This, this is awesome. I think Jesus is painting a picture of the church here that, that we have so much more than we left behind. So I want to circle back around to that first question there. What must I do to inherit eternal life? For the rich young ruler it was, in that moment, selling his possessions, giving his money to the poor, and then following Christ, because that that was the idol that he had set up. He found his security and his hope and his his wealth and his possessions. And Jesus put his finger on that and said, that's not good, and that needs to go. And so for us in this room today, I think we have... A similar question. What security is Jesus uh, placing his finger on in your life? If we were to ask Jesus, hey Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And he brings up the commandments and then says, great, one thing you still lack, blank, and come follow me. What is that that he's touching on? Is it money? Is it social standing? So what others think of you? Is it pleasures in this life, just having a good time? Is it relationships with other people? Is it drugs? Is it sex? Is it morality? This is a hard question. On the, uh, on the back of the note sheet, you guys probably found the spot where you could write that question, and then I put four lines there to write those notes. What do you, what do you think? 
if you haven't come to that place where where you've entered a relationship with Christ, where you have seen where he put that finger and said, this needs to be dealt with, I would encourage you prayerfully to, to look at that and deal with that. And my encouragement is don't walk away sad like this ruler did, but deal with it. Say to Jesus, hey, this gets in the way. I want, I want you to help me set it aside. I want you to, to follow, I want to follow you rather. And on the other side, if, if we have already come to that place of, hey, I've dealt with this, I know for me, I can put stuff between Jesus and myself. Easily. Is there something he's putting his finger on there that needs to get dealt with? Because he's willing to deal with it with you. He can clear it up just like he did the last time. So in asking the question, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I don't think we do anything. There's nothing we can perform that will give it to us. It is given to us freely when all that we have and all that we are is Christ and we follow him. Let's pray. Jesus, I just confess that uh, this week things have gotten in the way. And it was challenging. And I thank you for being there with me as we walked through that. I thank you for those who helped me. Father, I pray for those in this room who may not have reached that point yet, but who are in that wrestling match. I pray you would be their strength, that you would draw them to yourself, draw them closer. Help them deal with the junk that gets in the way with the idols we've set up, Father. You are a good God, and we thank you for all that you have done for us. So we ask that you continue to do that and continue to bless us uh, with being able to know you. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen.